Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Good morning, everyone, and the Lord bless you and keep you indeed. That was a beautiful prayer. And thank you to the Wilsons, our friends, um, for sharing just how life is going at home for them. Um, we all have our challenges during this uh, crazy time, and certainly for those of us with big families, there are some special relationship challenges, so um, we understand that. The, my girls the other day were telling me they can see a few more gray hairs on my head, so <laughs> that says a little something, I think. Um, Not for me. Not yeah, for me. you've already had a few of those. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so we just wanted to comment on that and kind of give uh, maybe a, just a few practical things of things we do um, together to help us uh, grow in times of stress or strategy. And so one thing we've always loved to do is read books. Um, one of our first vacations, we traveled to Tobomori together and we were crossing the border and the border guard looks inside our vehicle and says, what's with all the books? And there's this big crate. He, he questioned us. He thought we were actually moving instead of just going on vacation. So reading for us has always been um, a great tool. We love to learn. It quiets us. We do a lot of reading with the kids, especially now. Um, and, and reading books can give you such good perspective. So while I love a good mystery, I also love reading stories of people that have gone through hard things or biographies and true stories. And so I actually picked up a story um, last week. I just started reading it. And it's the story of this woman uh, who uh, grew up during World War II in the Soviet Union. And her father was arrested when she was little, when she was an infant, and so she never met him. Um, and her mom had to take care of these three kids all through World War II and the years following. And she had to find food for them, had to wait in lines, um, you know, hear a rumor of a grocery truck coming, get up early in the morning and go stand in those grocery lines with the hopes that there'd be something left when she got there. And so it just gave me perspective because grocery store shopping right now is just not fun. It's very inconvenient and it's just not fun and I was dreading it. And when you have a family of six, you have to go and you've got to get food. And, um, and then you go, you've waited so long that when you go, you look like you're hoarding. <laughs> but anyway, reading this story and hearing the struggles of this mom was like, okay, I can stand in a grocery store lineup for an hour knowing that there at least will be food to provide for my family. So it's just a little encouragement from us to pick up a good book. And particularly books that give you perspective. It's, it's, yeah. uh, it's so good during this time. We're going to pray for Emmanuel and Angela Davis, who uh, part, well, they're missionaries, you know, from us. And uh, Emmanuel is part of school ministers and all that sort of stuff. They're in Liberia right now. And when you hear from some of these people around the world, what they're going through, perspective yeah. is so good for us right now. So good. A uh, book recommend that I have that a number of you, of you I know uh, have, have read, but another good perspective book. Uh, I want to read the one that Don's uh, reading right now, but another one is uh, If I Perish by Esther On, and uh, from World War II and some of the suffering she went through for Jesus uh, during World War II. Uh, crazy. You read a book like that, and then you're able to be thankful. Oh my goodness, we still have lots and lots and lots to be thankful for. All right, so uh, just a little, uh, little tip there about reading books for perspective. I think that's awesome. A couple of announcements now before we get into the message. Uh, first of all, just so you know, uh, it's sad. You, you knew this was coming, but uh, we, we officially have to cancel camp. There's just no way we can make summer camp happen uh, this year. And so everybody who, if you've paid anything towards camp already, all any money you've paid us uh, towards camp will be refunded to you. You get an email this week explaining it all, so you don't need to email us. Eunice is going to send one out in the next couple of days. Um, all the money that will, will be paid out in the next couple of weeks. And any fundraised money uh, that you raise through the grocery store thing will automatically be rolled over to next year. So uh, isn't it great even already to think towards next year? I think that'll be, uh, be exciting to have uh, summer camp again. And then one other thing some people have been asking us for the next prayer summit dates and uh, the next prayer summit dates will be uh, Wednesday, May 6th at 7 p.m. and then Wednesday, June 3rd at 7 p.m., the first Wednesdays of the month. And the reason they're moving to Wednesdays is it just really comes down to logistics. Our tech guys and production and communication guys, they just need more turnaround time 
uh, between the weekend and then Tuesday is a crazy day. And actually to pull it off, things have just changed so radically. We're more dependent on, on uh, tech and production than we ever have been before. And so they just need that time to pull it off properly. And so it'll be those Wednesdays. You can write that down in your calendar and, uh, and that'll be that. So uh, thanks for your patience and prayers and all of this. Thanks for bearing with us. And uh, it's sad, but we're moving ahead and uh, we're still alive and we're grateful for lots of lots of things, which is good. And so I'm going to pray, and then we will jump into this, uh, this message that we have today. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord Jesus, this Sunday morning, it is so uh, brilliant to get together, as fa- to, to get together, together as, as friends and family and to, and to do church together. And we don't have a building to gather in right now. Uh, we're not allowed to, but Lord, we can gather in the Spirit and online and we can worship you and learn from your word. And I thank you for that freedom and that gift. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Now, I should just say one other thing. I have had a lot of comments over the last week, a lot of emails. In fact, uh, other staff members have been getting emails and they wonder why occasionally I do this and look out to the side as I'm speaking. And uh, I was a little surprised by that question Uh, I've had people emailing me all week long going, what are you looking at? Like, is something happening outside your window? So uh, the basic reason why I do it is there is no reason, okay? Uh, I do it because it beats just staring like this and not moving the whole time. I usually pace so much that I make some of you seasick when I'm in the auditorium. Uh, It's my way of pacing when I'm stuck to a chair. So every once in a while, I collect my thoughts by looking out to the side. And now that mystery has been uh, solved. The conspiracy theories can be put to rest. Nothing bad is going on outside of my window when you see me doing that. Um, I want to start this message by talking about our church mission statement. Uh, A few uh, months ago, our leadership team and the board, um, we took a look at our mission statement that we'd had for a number of years. And we just wanted to change the wording, not change what we're doing as a church, because discipleship has always been a thing that that uh, we're passionate, and that's the whole purpose of the church, or, or uh, the largest part of the purpose of the church. But we wanted to make the mission statement uh, simpler. We wanted to make it purely based on scripture. We wanted to have a mission statement at Southland that wasn't actually just Southland. It was actually just purely biblical, and that was easy to remember and not Southland jargony. And, uh, and so the mission statement that we picked, uh, you, you've, it's been on our website now for a bunch of months already. Uh, so it's not a surprise to most of you, but, and it's something that our adult cell ministry team had already been using for years. But uh, the mission statement that we came up with, thanks to the adult cell ministry team, was love God, love people, uh, be discipled, and make disciples. And uh, I think it's a brilliant mission statement, just four uh, succinct things. Uh, again, it's not original. I mean, the adult cell ministry has been using it for years. Uh, Campus Crusade for Christ has one that's very simple. It's actually, uh, or very similar, almost identical, really. Uh, they have love God, love people, make disciples. Uh, the only piece that's different is something that our adult cell ministry team added, which I think is absolutely brilliant, which is this piece about be discipled. So love God, love people, and then not just make disciples, because in order to make disciples, you and I actually have to be discipled. Uh, You can't just go out and make disciples if you yourself aren't being discipled. And there needs to be a motivation in us as a church to be discipled. And out of that comes making disciples. And uh, so I think that's uh, that's really exciting. I think there's also a lot of overlap between being discipled and making disciples. Uh, One of the things that, uh, I mean, LaDonna and I have been passionate about this for years. I've used this example many, many times in services but uh, one of the things that we've been passionate about for years is if you want to learn anything in your life, that's the being discipled piece. If you want to grow in air, any area of your life, if you want to grow in, a, in some kind of skill, if you want to grow uh, in relationships, if you want to grow in emotional health or spiritual help, health or devotions or whatever it is, if there's any area you want to grow in, one of the best things you can do is find some material that's going to help you grow and then start teaching it or leading other people through it. Uh, we've just believed in that for years. One of the examples I've talked about many times at church is a number of years ago, uh, the two of us uh, really wanting to grow in our parenting, uh, particularly the emotionally connecting piece of parenting, uh, connecting to our kids better, being less angry, being less controlling and judgmental, those sorts of things. 
And so we found some a few years ago, uh, actually through some other people at church. Stefan often has great materials, and he's always given us good stuff. And we went through some of the materials he had suggested, and we loved it so much. I remember reading the book and us having this discussion and going, you know, this stuff is so amazing. I loved, I'd really love to get it into my life. Um, but we're going to forget this. Within a month, this will just be another book that we read. And so we talked with each other. And we're like, well, how are we going to get this into our lives? And, and we knew right away, we we're like, we need to start a cell and then take another group of people through this book together. And the act of being a leader, the act of being responsible, other people are going to show up every day, or every day, not every day, our cell is not that intense. Uh, but people are going to show up at our house every week, and we're going to have to lead them through this. We're going to have to do the exercises. We're going to have to prepare is going to force us to grow in it even more. And uh, we've done that in so many different ways. And Ladon's been doing this in, in Selah and many different, on many different topics and, and different things and skills and, and relational practices. Um, but it's so true. And we see this with our cell leaders all the time. Uh, this being discipled and making disciples, these two things actually go hand in hand. If you want to grow in some area, find something or someone that's going to help you grow, then turn around and teach it to others. You're going to grow uh, more than anything. And, and one of the things I, I just so believe and I'm so passionate about is that change is not magic. Okay? Change does not happen in our lives effortless, effortlessly. I, I feel like sometimes as Christians, we think that, you know, if I just ask God to change me, then I'm going to change. And asking God and praying to God that you change is a super important thing. That is, that is a key, key component, but that's, there's more to it than that. Uh, change isn't effortless, and we see this in Scripture. If you actually want to change, this is part of the being discipled and making disciples. If you want to be changed, it's going to take prayer, uh, practice, accountability. It's going to take all of these things because we don't change by magic. And God doesn't change most of the time. I mean, sometimes he does miracles and, and we all know stories, people we know, it's so awesome. You know, they became a Christian and just like that, they stopped smoking or they became a Christian and just like that, they dropped this bad habit or that bad habit. Um, but even for those people who have experienced that, I have seen over and over and over and again, is that later on, at, you know, God gives them a few freebies almost. It's like, boom, you got saved, whole bunch of things get cleared up in your life. Um, but then later in their life, when they're trying to change other things, it actually takes a lot of work. It's just how God works, and it's how he's made us as human beings. And if you want to change in anything that's meaningful, uh, if you want to change in ways that are going to be noticed by the people you love and that are going to earn you reward in heaven and the way you love people and treat people and, and walking in peace and all that sort of stuff, it's actually going to take a lot of work. It's going to take prayer, but it's also going to take a lot of practice. It's going to take accountability. And all that's going to lead to change. And we see this in scripture. I want to show you just a couple of passages. Um, and uh, we'll start in 2 Peter 3, verse 14. Peter says this, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him that's God without spot or blemish and at peace. And I could show you a number of other passages from Peter. First and 2 Peter, this is a big, uh, this is, or maybe not a big theme, but it's, it is one um, you know, theme that Peter talks about in both of his letters is this idea of working towards holiness. You're actually working at it. So it's be diligent. It's not just a fad. Yeah, I went through this one month fad where I worked on my character. I went through this, you know, course. I went through Path to Freedom once in my life and worked on my character. And then, I, no, no, be diligent. It's an ongoing, the verb is ongoing, active. Uh, continue being diligent to be found by God without spot or blemish and at peace. Uh, Hebrews 12, the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, therefore, lift your drooping hands. And so the picture there is of Christians who have gotten discouraged and they want to give up. And uh, uh, they, they don't have the energy, you know, the hope, the vision to keep pushing forward and growing in Jesus and standing strong. He says, and, and, and he gives them an action. He says, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And then verse 13, and make straight paths for your feet. Notice in all of this, he does not say, God's going to do this for you. Okay? Prayer is such an important component of this, but it's this partnership with Jesus. And as you pray and as you work, he's changing you, which is uh, just awesome. So that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. By the way, that's a great discipleship passage there too. One of the reasons we are to work at 
our discipleship and work at growing and be diligent is for those who are following along behind us. And then in verse 14, again, we have this idea of, of the work that it takes. Strive, he says, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness with wit, without which no one will see the Lord. So over and over again in scripture, we see this idea that as Christians, we're supposed to be motivated to grow. We're supposed to be motivated towards discipleship. Okay, so be discipled, make disciples. This is a core driving piece of what the church is and what we as Christians are supposed to be. Encouraging each other and helping each other to do the work and the practices that help us to grow in our character and our love, uh, in our love for Jesus and all of that. Um, so now if we go back to our mission statement, I just want to show you uh, this mission statement. So it's been out there for a few months again. This isn't new, uh, you know, new for most of you. Um, but I want to just show you the, the, the biblical basis for our mission statement. Love God, love people, be disciples, make disciples. And it starts with the great commandment, uh, Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. And it says here, but when the Pharisees heard that he, that's Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Okay, and of course, this is a famous passage. And uh, verse 37, and Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, right? So, I mean, Jesus just says, this is the most important commandment is love God. And then he says this, verse 39, and a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he makes this, uh, you know, incredible statement. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All the other commands in scripture, basically, the moral commands and the Ten Commandments and all that can basically be boiled down to love God, love people. And so that's where the love God, love people part of our mission statement comes from. And then the be disciple to make disciples part comes six chapters later in Matthew 28 from the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Okay, so this is not a Southland jargony thing. This is not just some vision, you know, Pastor Ray came up with or I came up with. We're taking this straight out of scripture. This is what Jesus told the church to do. Okay, you love God and love people. And then here's what you do as a church is you make disciples. Okay, and how do we make them make disciples? Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so if I put our mission statement up there again, and, uh, and this message and the, and the rest of this series is going to come out of, a, out of a piece of this mission statement. That's why I wanted to take some time on the mission statement, is we've boiled our Southland mission statement now down to something that really should be the mission statement of, of every church, and not that it has to be stated this way uh, at all, not that we have, and not that there couldn't be other things in it, but we've basically boiled down our mission statement to the most biblical focused thing uh, that we can see in scripture from Jesus, which is love God, love people, be disciple, make disciples. As individual believers, these four things, this is the core of this is our motivation, this is what we're shooting for, and as a corporate body together, this is what we're doing together, and this is what we're helping each other to do individually. It's the great commandment plus the great commission. Now, um, how do we do this discipleship? Well, Jesus gives us one way there, and I'm going to go to that verse. Um, he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So uh, one, way that we, um, one way that we do discipleship is we look at the commands of Jesus. We could go to some place like the Sermon on the Mount, for example, and we could study the commands that we see Jesus giving us there. He gives us commands about, uh, you know, being careful about lust and uh, being true to your word and, you know, loving your enemy and forgiving and simple prayer. And we could put those commands into practice. That's one key way of discipleship because discipleship is about doing. Okay, that's a really important point that we see in these scriptures and that we see here in Matthew 28 when he gives a commission to make disciples. Making disciples isn't teaching them to believe. Okay, that's really important, especially in the Western church. Discipleship isn't just teaching them a bunch of things to know, even though you, you have to know certain things. You have to know that Jesus died on the cross, obviously, and rose from the dead, and that he's God. There's very, very key important things you have to know in order to do. But notice that the focus of discipleship in the Great Commission isn't teaching them all the things to know, 
Like they should just go to a church service every week and learn a bunch of new things. No, teaching them to observe. Discipleship is about, is about doing. Not that just that you know Jesus said, uh, don't be, you know, don't uh, call someone a fool in anger. That's part of the Sermon on the Mount. But that we actually go ahead and do that then. We actually work on our anger and not hurting people with our tongues and stuff like that. That's discipleship is about doing. So one way we do that is we study Jesus' commands. Now, that's not the only way to do it. That is one key way. Another way that we do discipleship is by examining the lives of the men and women in scripture, the saints, and then, and then copying the model, like doing what they did. Not just, you know, not every single thing they did, but the way they did things, the character, how they loved Jesus, all those sorts of things. And that's what we're going to do in this message. And that's what we're going to do in this series is we're going to look at the life of the Apostle Paul, and then we will add some other Bible characters in there as well, no doubt. But I, I think I have a few things already to do on the Apostle Paul. Maybe we'll just end up just doing him. I will change my mind as this goes on. But in this series, I want to look at this be discipled component of our mission statement. And I want to look at some key things that we can learn from the saints in Scripture. If we apply those things to our lives in today's day and age, we can be disciples by copying what they did. Paul actually talks about this in Philippians. And there's a passage in Philippians I want to take you to now. And that's where this message is going to mostly come out of. And Paul says this in Philippians chapter 4. He says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Okay, so that's some good advice. Verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, look at this, practice these things. So what's Paul saying? So he's, he's talking about, you know, uh, you know, think about all these good things and, and be grateful and, and have good character and be loving and love Jesus. And, we're, and then he says, now, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, what you have seen me do, do those things and the God of peace will be with you. Practice those things. That's discipleship. That's discipleship. It's not about just learning head knowledge. It's there's someone following Jesus and I'm going to learn from them. Now, particularly our discipleship is, should be based on the men and women of scripture, right? So Paul, and that's what Paul is telling us here. Do what I did. Do what I do. What you see in me, do that. Okay. Now there's a specific thing in this message now a uh, core part of Paul's teaching and a poor, uh, core part of Paul's character that I want to dig into. And we see that in this very same passage. So Paul says, what you've seen in me, practice those things. Skip one verse. verse and we get to verse 11. It's two verses later. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now that, that's an amazing statement. There's nothing going on out there. Remember, I'm just thinking. Um, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now that, that is an incredible statement. Whatever situation, could you imagine being able to say that? Now remember, Paul has said, whatever you've seen in me, put it into practice. So this is something we're supposed to do. And he says, whatever situation I have learned. Now, notice too, it didn't just happen to my magic. He had to learn it. This is something he practiced. It took him a long time. And now we're supposed to do it because it's in him. He just talked about that two verses ago. Now he says, I have learned in whatever situation. Can you imagine if no matter what circumstance happened to you, you could be content? And then he goes on to say this. He's going he's gonna to expand on that. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, there it is again, every circumstance, he's, he's learned this lesson so well, he's confident in his contentment. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So literally, you know, he, I, can, I can be hungry. You can... You can take away Paul's shelter and you can put him outside in the cold. And he often went through this, traveling along the roads there in winter and summer and various places in the Roman Empire. You could take him outside of his shelter. You could take away, you know, he doesn't have enough to eat. And in that situation, he can be content. 
Or you could put, in, put him inside a house and trap him there for months. That might sound familiar to some of us, perhaps. And he would be content. You could give him uh, a bunch of kids to homeschool and he would be content. You could do whatever, he could keep his job, he could lose his job, okay? In whatever situation, whether with lots or whether with little, Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content. I actually think this isn't, um, to me, contentment isn't something, it's not like, oh my goodness, I could, I could just never do that. It's not like a guilt thing. You know, sometimes we Christians approach these things with, and it's about guilt. I feel bad because I don't love enough. I don't do this enough. I don't do that enough. I don't, I'm not content enough. This has absolutely nothing to do with guilt. I, when I look at this, I've learned the secret of being content in whatever circumstance. I think this has got to be the most amazing gift. This is better than the lottery. This is way better than the lottery because people win the lottery and still fail to find any happiness or contentment. Okay. But Paul is saying, I've learned the secret of being content. What we really want in life you know, lots of people think they, wa- think they want to win the lottery, but really, it's not wanting to win the, the, win the lottery. That's not what they really want. What they really want is to be happy. That's what we all want. We want to be happy, and many people think that winning the lottery will help them be happy. Now, we know, and they've done studies on this even, but we know that winning the lottery actually doesn't make people happy. In fact, in some cases, it, later in life, it makes them more depressed, okay? Um, so what people really want deep down is not to win the lottery. What they really want is to be happy. And what Paul is saying here is that I have learned the secret of being content in any circumstance. That is a million times better than the lottery. Could you imagine if we could all live with contentment no matter what happened to us? That would be an awesome thing. Now, the very next verse, the very next verse, is one of the most famous verses in all the Bible in terms of, like, Christians love to quote this. Uh, some Christians, you know, who are into tattoos, you know, you get this one. This is one of those verses that often you get see tattooed on people, which is great. Uh, not that I'm, okay, kids at home, not encouraging tattoos, not discouraging. Talk to your parents, okay? Whew. Um, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is such a famous passage. And Christians all over the place have used this passage as a promise for all kinds of things. Uh, you know, athletes have quoted this verse as, you know, this is, this is God's going to help them get a gold medal. You know, I've seen, I've seen football players use verses like this. Uh, that's what helped them win the game, all this sort of stuff, which is, you know, it's great. I love when people use scripture. But what I want you to notice about this verse is this verse, this famous, famous verse that we quote this line all the time is right in the middle of Paul's discussion of discipleship, do what I do, and contentment. This is about contentment, okay? It is about other things. God will, uh, you know, by God's strength, you know, he strengthens me for all kinds of things, not just contentment. Absolutely, that's true. Um, But this is about contentment. And I think this verse is saying a couple things about contentment. First of all, Paul is saying, God gives him the strength. Part of his secret to being content is that God gives him the strength to be content in any circumstance. And second of all, I think he's also saying that part of the reason he can be, it goes both ways. God gives him the strength to be content, but also it goes both ways because he knows God will give him the strength in all things that he's going through. He can also be content. But contentment is at the heart of this. Are you and I motivated to grow, to be discipled in contentment? Why don't we just do a a little definition of contentment? This is not a dictionary definition. Uh, I've tried to kind of put together basically kind of a biblical view of contentment. It's not a technical definition, all right? Um, But what does it mean when Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and all circumstances? What does he mean, I've learned the secret of being content? Uh, Here's a couple of things biblically that contentment is. Uh, One thing that contentment is, is it's being satisfied and grateful with your lot in life. What does that mean? It doesn't mean, you know, sometimes people uh, misuse contentment or they think contentment is a bad thing. I've sometimes heard people say, you know, well, I don't want to be content with where I'm at because I want to keep getting better. 
I don't want to be content with, with some of the imperfections at work because I, I want to make my business better. I want to make my hockey team better, whatever it is. Um, that's, that's not contentment. That's a misuse of the word contentment. Contentment doesn't mean you're content with injustices in the world. It doesn't mean you're content with, with uh, you know, mistakes in your, in, in your life or in your business or anything like that. Contentment specifically is talking about uh, possessions, status in life, and who God has made you to be. A content person is someone who does not need any other possessions, any more possessions in order to be content. They're actually satisfied with where they are in life. It doesn't mean you can't want other things. It doesn't mean you can't have dreams or you're saving up for something. But content means you're actually happy and satisfied right where you are. Contentment means you're also uh, satisfied with your uh, status and your place in life, your role. Contentment means you're happy with who God has made you to be. You're not constantly, you know, jealous of other people or, or looking at other people and wishing you were more like, you're actually content. I wonder how many of us are truly content with who God has made you to be and who God has made me to be and who God has made us to be. Right? Some of us want to look like someone else. Some of us want to be uh, like someone else. And God says, I didn't make you to be someone else. I made you to be you. Contentment means I'm satisfied with, with who I am. Uh, also, contentment means there's, this, there's an element to contentment that is I'm not worried about things that are outside of my control. People who are constantly worried about things out there that, are, that they cannot control, and it's so easy to do, but when you are full of worry about things that are outside of your control, you can't be content, okay? Now, when there are things that are in your control to improve, well, improve those things. Contentment doesn't say you're okay with not being, you know, doing your best. Contentment just means there are things out there that are out of my control and I can be satisfied in Jesus where I am. Contentment means you're not bitter about your circumstances. Contentment has this idea of being trusting and grateful. Well, let's look at Paul's contentment in action. He teaches it, but did he live it? And uh, he did. There's many stories we could look at. But a story I've had on my heart for a couple of weeks that I really want to, uh, have, that I really wanted to look at is uh, from Acts chapter 16. And in Acts chapter 16, we uh, see the story of Paul and Silas in prison. And uh, starting in verse 16, it says this, As we were going, and, and this is Luke writing, so Luke's with them too, but... Uh, Paul and Silas are the focus of this story. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Okay, so verse 18, I love this story. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, by the way, I'm always, I'm always interested in the everyday humanness of the characters, of, of the people in Scripture. I love that the emotion that uh, Paul, that Luke writes about Paul here is that Paul was greatly annoyed. I, I wonder what that looked like in the evenings, because it, it says this was going on for many days. So, you know, Paul must have come home sometimes and just gone, what is going on with this girl? Okay, but Luke doesn't even just write annoyed. He writes greatly annoyed. So, and this kept, she kept doing for many days, Paul having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now, again, there's something else that I just have to remark on. It's really not important to this message, but, uh, so he doesn't cast the demon out all the other days. So it says this happened for many days. So this girl was doing this day after day, after day, after day, he doesn't cast the demon out. Finally, he gets annoyed and then he casts the demon out. I don't know why I love that, but that is just so real to me. That's just so, so real about how things work in this world. But anyway, verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and are disturbing our city. Skip over one verse, just for uh, sake of time. Verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Now, this is a bad situation. 
uh, to be beaten by rods. Let's just stop there for a moment, as we do when we read through the scriptures, because it's so easy just to read that over. Oh, they got beaten with rods. They were beaten with rods. Think about that. A long wooden uh, stick doesn't even do it justice. It's a rod, uh, you know, light enough that you can really whip it and strong enough that it'll really hurt. And uh, they were called lictors, L-I-C-T-O-R-S. It's not really important, but that's what they were. The Roman, in each city, the magistrate would have these men called lictors. They were like, they did various things. They were like security guards, uh, but they were also the guys who handed out these beatings. They carried around special rods, sometimes made of elm, sometimes made of birch. And they, when the time came for beatings to be handed out, they would hand out severe beatings. Uh, I mean, it, it would be terrifying. It would be terrifying if you were tied up. Usually you were tied up to a post. There was different ways they did it. Sometimes they would stretch you out. Like they'd stretch out, they'd tie your hands and legs stretch wide apart. And then they would beat not just your back, but they would beat your, your back and your front and your legs. Sometimes they would beat the bottom of your feet till the bones broke. It was brutal. Really, really brutal. I mean, a lot of us would probably pass, we'd probably faint from fear when we got tied up. Um, but this is the kind of beating they received. They were badly injured, okay? They received many blows um, from these lictors. Now, verse 24, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks, okay? So now this is interesting because they were already in a prison. So I want us just to think about this for just a moment. There was no chance of them, there was no chance of them uh, running away. Um, so why the feet in the stocks? Like I've always had this picture in, in mind of, of, you know, you're kind of sitting on a bench and then your feet are just sort of chained with sort of like ankle handcuffs or something, ankle cuffs. That's not what stocks were. Okay. And why did they even have to have their feet in stocks? Cause they couldn't get out anyway. They were locked in a dungeon. Okay. So the point of the stocks was not to keep them from running away. The point of the stocks was actually further torture. Okay. And the Romans, there's different kinds. I'm going to actually put up a, a picture of stocks there for you. Now, this is not the Roman stocks, okay? So I just want to say that again. This is not what the Roman stocks would have looked like. These are uh, different stocks that were used in the Middle Ages in, in, in different places. But it was just a picture, just to help you get a different picture in your mind than sitting comfortably on a bench. We know that in Acts, they had only their feet uh, strapped into these wooden stocks, okay? They didn't have their hands like in the picture that you're seeing right now, Okay. But the point is, the purpose of the stocks was to spread their feet apart. In fact, uh, in some Roman uh, stocks, the, the holes were placed so far apart, the point was to induce painful cramping in your legs and feet. And the other point of the stocks was to keep you from being able to get comfortable. So you're already badly injured from a horrific beating. And now they won't even give you the decency of sleep. This is torture. It's all night now, you're going to stay up and be extremely uncomfortable. This is ongoing torture, okay? So they're in stocks. They've been beaten with many blows, okay? Um, so now what do they do next? Well, verse 25, famous story, right? They are in pain. They are not comfortable. They have been, they are badly injured. And now they are in ongoing torment in these stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, this is verse 25, were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Okay? Now, remember what Paul said before. He said, uh, do as I do. And then he said, I have learned the secret of being content in every circumstance, no matter what. And what do we see him doing here in prison? He's been horribly beaten. His legs are in... Uh, both of them, their legs are in terrible stocks. They're in a lot of pain. They're extremely uncomfortable. And what are they doing at midnight? They are praying out loud and they are singing. Uh, brothers and sisters, I can't think of a greater gift than for us to be able to learn that kind of contentment. Because none of us right now is going through something that acute. What they were going through in that moment or very few of us. I shouldn't say none of us. There might be some of you, I don't know, might be going through something very, very painful. But very few of us are going through something that acute, and yet they were able to pray and to sing. Now, I want to think about that for a little bit as well, because I think sometimes we have a wrong picture of Paul and Silas praying and singing in prison. I think sometimes we have this picture 
of Paul and other saints in the scripture as being superhuman, right? They're, they're superhuman. Oh, they were just happy. I mean, for some reason, their emotions were just cheerful whenever they got beaten and whenever they were hungry, they were just, whoa, they just felt happy all the time. Um, actually, this, this passage does not tell us what their emotions were. We assume because they were praying and singing that they were happy, but I would actually venture that the reason they were praying and singing is because they were in so much pain. These were ordinary people. You know, I really believe that when we meet Paul in heaven someday and the other saints as well, but Paul, we're going to meet him in heaven and we are going to be astonished at how ordinary he is. And he's going to have this little grin and he's going to say, what were you expecting? What were you expecting? See, and we build up, the more you build up the characters of scripture to be superhuman, the less you're going to be discipled by them because you're going to think it's impossible. You're going to think, oh, that's just what Paul did. That's what the disciples did. We could never do that. But the fact of the matter is they were ordinary people. They learned. That's why Paul says, do what I do. Put into practice the things you see in me. You see me singing in a prison. You can put into practice that same thing. And you can learn the secret of contentment in any circumstance. That's what Paul's life is supposed to encourage us in. And so I don't assume that Paul and Silas feel, felt happy. In fact, I assume that probably one of the reasons they were singing and praying at midnight is because they couldn't sleep. They're up anyway, so what are you going to spend the time doing? Groaning, complaining, and crying. They made a choice. They said, you know what we're going to do with our time? We're going to pray and we're going to sing. And that, I think, that's really important to me because oftentimes... Uh, oftentimes, especially when we're going through hard things, we can't control what we feel. Isn't that true? Um, you know, I, there's lots of parents over the years, and I've done this too. I am ceasing and desisting. I've been working on this for a while. Not perfect, but where parents tell their kids, okay, it's time to be happy now. <laughs> really? Like, does that work for you? Parents, does that work for you with your spouse? Does that work with you for yourself? Just time to be happy, okay? You, for the most part, we, don't, we can't control our emotions. Our emotions are our emotions, and it's the same with your kids. What we can control is our behaviors in those emotions, and we can control our actions. And what, that's why, you know, you say, well, I could never be happy when I'm suffering like Paul and Silas. Well, the point isn't that they were being happy. The point was what they were doing. They were praying and singing. They were praising God, and they were singing. And they were praying. And those are actions that we can choose. And the thing is, if you choose right actions over time and you practice those things, practice what you see Paul doing, when you practice them, what we will find over time is that our emotions begin to follow more and more. Okay? And uh, we see Paul saying this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. He says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. And guess what? He lived it. There he is in prison. He lived it. Right? So, I want to make this message now very practical. Um, because we're, this is what we're looking at. It's about being discipled. Our church mission statement is love God, love people, be discipled, make disciples. Okay? How do we be discipled? Well, we can study the commands in Scripture and do them. We can study the lives of the saints who lived in Scripture, like Paul said, and we can do what they did. And what we're learning from Paul today and what we want to practice doing is contentment and gratitude. So how to turn gratitude and praise into an action. And it's something, I got this from someone else. Uh, I think it was probably actually uh, IHOP in Kansas City, International House of Prayer. I'm not, I'm not sure. But someone else came up with this, and I, but I really like it. Uh, you won't just become grateful because you hope to become grateful. Gratitude, if you want to feel grateful and, and you're waiting for those feelings to come, they, you're not going to be grateful very often. You can turn gratitude into an action and as you do the action, you will find yourself more often feeling grateful and you can create pathways in your brain and in your spirit that make you more and more grateful. So um, what I like to talk about, and again, I've heard this from others, I didn't make this up, but... Uh, write it, say it, sing it, and share it, okay? These are actions you can do, okay? You might say to yourself, well, I don't know how to feel grateful. All I ever feel these days is worry. Well, that's okay. 
You don't, there's not a switch, there's not an off switch for your worry. Okay, so you, you can give up just trying to stop feeling something. What you need to do is start doing something. And what you can start doing is practicing gratitude, writing out prayers of gratitude, saying out loud to others or just by yourself things of gratitude, singing out praises to God and thanks to God and sharing things you're grateful for with others. You have to get your gratitude out of your mind and into your mouth, into your journal. You have to do things to be grateful. Just like Paul and Silas were singing and praying. They were doing it out loud and everybody was listening to them. So a challenge I have for you is what's your gratitude exercise plan going to be? Um, anybody, you know, any athlete, and Paul used this analogy to any athlete who trains for something, they have a plan. They have a very specific plan because physical fitness doesn't just happen. It doesn't happen because you want it to happen. It happens because you do things to exercise. And the same is true with gratitude and contentment. Paul said, what you have seen in me, put it into practice. What you have seen in me, put it into practice. So, What's your gratitude exercise plan going to be? Let's practice gratitude. Let's not let gratitude happen by accident. And I've got a bunch of questions with uh, question marks up on the screen right now because I don't know what your plan should be. It's going to be very different. An exercise plan is going to be very different based on the person. So is a gratitude exercise plan going to be? Some of you are beginners in gratitude. Some of you are intermediate gratitude and some few of you are like PhDs in gratitude. Paul was a PhD gratitude. I mean, he just, he knew how to be grateful when he was in the stocks. I mean, that's, that's impressive. And that's something we can practice towards as well. So maybe for you, a gratitude exercise plan is for the next month, I'm gonna start every day with 10 minutes of gratitude. Uh, and I'm gonna end every day with 10 minutes of gratitude. That could be something, maybe two or three times a week, maybe every day of the week, whatever it is, wherever you're at, right? Maybe it's more, maybe it's less. Are you going to write it down? Or are you going to say it out loud? Are you going to do it in the quiet? Are you going to do it blasting praise and worship? Every person is different. How are you going to practice uh, gratitude? Who are you going to share your gratitude with? Are you going to do it with someone? Get creative. I heard of a, I heard of a cell group this, this week. Um, and the last two weeks, they've picked a day of the week. And they have fasted together. And this last week, they were being grateful together. And so on their cell group chat... They were posting throughout the day different things that they were grateful for. I, was, I just happened to be talking to one person from this group during the day. And all of a sudden he looked, he had a notification. He said, oh, there's 62 things on our list already that we're grateful for. So there's an example of being creative, people doing gratitude together. And I think that's really amazing. And some of you cell leaders are really good at, at gratitude. And I would love to encourage you, if you're, if you're good at gratitude and you're a cell leader, invite your group to join you to join you in gratitude. Um, here's how discipleship works. Let me tell you why joining is so important. Um, discipleship does not just work off of teaching. Teaching is only one little first little bit. Discipleship works off of this principle. I do, we do, then you do, and then you help someone else to do. That's how discipleship works. Because discipleship isn't just about learning facts. Discipleship is about becoming a different person and doing different things. So how do you disciple someone? It's one thing. And that's why me, even me preaching on the weekend is just, it's not enough. In the church, if we're going to make disciples, it's not enough for me to just tell you what to do. You need people coming alongside you to help you do it. Because it's, it's hard to learn just by me telling you to be grateful. Many of you are like, I don't know how. If you could do it with someone, and that would be my encouragement. I would love to hear uh, we've got pastors, and I, I've heard some of our pastors actually discussing this already, and I think some of them are going to do it, but I would love to see cell group leaders who love to do gratitude inviting cell members to join them, saying, hey, Monday through Friday, 6.30, I'm going to be online and, for 20 minutes, and I'm going to be doing gratitude, and anybody from our cell who wants to join can join me, and you do it with people. We do. It's not just telling someone how to do it. It's doing it with them. And when you do it with them, that's when we see change. And over time, you do it with them, you do it with them, you do it with them. And over time, they're able to do it on their, on their own. And now they start to do it with other people. And that's what discipleship is. Be discipled, make disciples. I do, we do together, then you can do. 
And I think that's just absolutely powerful. So now what we're gonna do is we're going to take three minutes and there's a couple things left in this service. We're gonna take three minutes and do a gratitude exercise together right here online right now. After that, we're gonna watch a five minute video from Emmanuel and Angela Davis who are in Liberia right now. And uh, it's gonna help us get some perspective. It's gonna help us to be uh, more grateful again. Um, and we're gonna pray for them. And then after that, I'm gonna give it back to the worship team and they're gonna lead us in a, in a final song of worship again, which is gonna be absolutely uh, awesome. But let's do this gratitude exercise. And different ones of you are, are different. So we're gonna take three minutes. You can see it up on the screens there. Um, but different people will approach this from different ways. If you are a person who loves nature and you're just a beginner in gratitude, you can start by this three minutes by thinking of the last time you went fishing or hunting or hiking and just allow yourself to be grateful for the beauty in nature and the things you feel when you're in nature. If you are a person who hates nature, uh, because there are people like that, and, and that's, that's great. I hate sleeping in nature. I like being in nature during the day, and then I like to not be in nature at night. Um, then you might think of something relational, a relationship that brings you a tremendous amount of joy, right? Something like that. Um, whatever the case, I want you to start this three minutes by thinking of that and being thankful. And then you'll see in part two there, I want us to practice being grateful for the most basic things in life. I think too often... We're, so, we're thankful for things that if they got taken away, we wouldn't know what to be thankful for anymore. But when's the last time you just thought to yourself, I'm actually just grateful to be alive? When's the last time you just looked at your hand? You know, Psalm 139, David says, I praise you, God, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. When's the last time you just looked at your hand and just thought to yourself, like, wow, the fact that I have a body, like God has made me. This is incredible to be thankful for that. To, to be thankful for the fact that we get to eat still, even in the midst of all the things that are going on here in Steinbeck, we're still eating. The feeling of being full. So we're going to spend the next three minutes, I'm going to do it too, and we're going to be thankful, all right? So go to it, there'll be a little countdown clock on your screens there, and, uh, and then in three minutes, we're going to watch a video of, of Emmanuel and Angela Davis, okay? So go to it, let's practice being grateful.
know for some of you that might have felt long because you're just a beginner. And for others of you, uh, if you've been practicing gratitude, three minutes just goes by so quick. It's so beautiful just to take a breath in life and just be grateful. Just be grateful for the beauty that's around us and uh, for the grateful for the chance to be alive and to love and to be loved and all of those things. All right, we're going to show a video now of Emmanuel and Angela Davis. They're in Liberia. Emmanuel and Angela were part of our church for years, very highly involved in many different things. They've got four beautiful children. Uh, Emmanuel was in uh, school ministers. Uh, he did year three, but he also did year two. I, I don't know if he was in three years or two years. I, I can't remember exactly, but highly involved. And then they felt called. Emmanuel's originally from Liberia. And they felt called to go out there and, and do missions in a third world country. I mean, that is a big yes to God. Uh, this past week, they sent us a note asking for prayer. They're going through some very serious things in Liberia. Uh, you're going to see in the video, they keep talking as if we're going through the same things. We are not. They have food shortages. They have a curfew that ends at 3 p.m. And you get beaten if you're out just a few minutes past it. They're going through some hard stuff. I want you to watch this video. Hopefully this video is going to remind you now the rest of the week to pray for them. And then after that, we're going to spend a few minutes as a church together praying for them and the work out there in Liberia. Let's roll the video. Hi, church. Hi, Pastor Chris. Hi, LaDawn. Hi, family. Um, we thank God for every one of you. We bless the Lord for you all, for your prayers, for financial support, and um, this it could have, it, we couldn't do anything uh, without your prayers. Uh, of course, being here in Liberia, it is God's will for us to be here. Um, we've been very blessed connecting with uh, people that uh, God brought in our lives to to work along with them, um, studying the Word of God together and implementing church and principles here in Liberia. Um, we are uh, very thankful for everything you've done and we appreciate you greatly. So a little update on our family. Uh, our family's doing well. Uh, the kids are all growing like crazy and they're all healthy and happy most of the time. And uh, we miss home, but we are at peace about where we are here. Um, God continues just to give us the peace that we need, the strength that we need each and every day to get through um, the different trials that we face here, the trials that are around us just on an everyday basis, uh, living in a third world country. Um, but God continues to strengthen and encourage us uh, through many of you and through many of the locals here. Um, they're strong people and I'm encouraged by many of them, even with this COVID-19, um, they've gone through a lot of suffering in their life, and uh, it just gives me the strength to um, allow them to walk beside me and say, it's okay, like, God's got us, it's all right. So, um, so we can be, be an encouragement, and they're also an encouragement to us, and so, um, so we just, yeah, I want to say thank you for continuing to pray for us. And in this crisis um, of COVID-19, uh, which you guys are experiencing the same effects, I say in Africa, um, again, it's very challenging. It changed things, of course, dramatically around the world here in Liberia as well for our ministry. It changed things a lot. We were anticipating great things and we were excited to receive praise. Uh, Pew Hash and Caroline and, and Tracy over here to help us with the ministry. Um, and we were actually going to host our first set free retreat. And but sadly, all had to cancel. We canceled everything, and the pastors were very disappointed. But again, uh, we know if that this is God's will for His church, is a challenge been thrown out to the church to to accept the challenge and continue to persevere in the midst of trials. Um, but with these challenges have posed a lot of things here into the on the local people. And again, like Anne said, the local people have experienced Ebola before, but this is really different and they're even confused of what they can do and how to survive. For us, we've been very blessed. 
that God been providing and meeting our needs, we can go to the store and buy food, but most of the locals really can't afford anything. Yeah, so um, right now uh, there's a lot of restrictions, as you guys know, and um, here we can only be out between 6 a.m. and 3 p.m. Uh, for one hour to get food. Um, this is a difficult thing uh, in a country like Liberia. And so um, they're really enforcing it uh, with the police. Um, if people are out past curfew, they are beaten or chased, or at times there have been some killings. And so continue just to pray for protection uh, over the Liberian people and for us as well. Um, and how uh, God can use us in crisis like this um, to to be able to help the local people. Even we can't really meet and congregate congregate now, but God will give us strategy to be able to meet the local people and to help them in ways that uh, they can be able to survive this this crisis, uh, either by providing food for them or not, uh, or, or or whatever it is it can be. Yeah. So. Um just also continue to pray for us just for perseverance as things are expected to get harder here. Um, food shortages are expected. Um, and with the healthcare system as it is, you know, things aren't always very good. And so, yeah, just continue to pray for, for the strength to mentally, physically, spiritually continue to press on. I want to say bless you again. Thank you so much. Thank you for your prayer and God bless. We love you all. Yes, we love you. All right. Uh, man, just to see them out, out there in the back and, they, and they, they, they're restricted to home. I mean, the difficulties, they had, they had been so hopeful. Angela and Emmanuel have been so hopeful about doing a set-free retreat. Uh, Chris Puhatch and a few people from our church were going to go out there and encourage them now in April. All of that uh, is, has, is off. And so now it's hard. They've gone out there to do missions, but they're not allowed to mix with people. Things are shut down, there's curfew, so they're by themselves in this third world country. Um, and uh, that's gotta be hard. I want us to lift them up for encouragement. The fact that they're staying out there through this shows their commitment to those people. They're not just there as tourists, they're there as missionaries. They believe in Liberia and they're giving their lives there. And I think that's beautiful and we need to lift them up every day this week. I, I think we should all try whenever we think of them this week to pray for them. Here's a few things to pray for. Um, Let's pray that God would give them strategies. Now with every second home, and again, lots of people out there, difficulties with internet. So it's not even as easy as what we can do by doing this online. Oh God, give them strategies how to reach people with the good news and the gospel during this time. Give them encouragement. Keep them and their kids safe. Those four little kids and Angela and Emmanuel, like they said, the healthcare system out there isn't great. Let's pray safety over them. Let's pray protection. Uh, let's take two minutes. We're going to have a little countdown timer up there. Let's pray those things for Emmanuel and Angela, and let's remember them the rest of this week.
right. Um, let's keep praying for Manuel and Angela this week. And, uh, and don't forget, after service prayer, if you have a prayer request um, at all of any kind, we have a bunch of volunteers and, uh, and staff who want to pray for you. It's their joy to pray for you. If you're lonely, if you are full of anxiety or fear, uh, send an email to prayeramysouthern.com right now. Someone's going to pray for you right now. Reach out to us. We want to be there for you. And I'm going to hand it back to the worship team. And let's finish this Sunday morning with some worship. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com.